Amen. That's a great job. And you enjoyed that song. Amen. It was great. And then I'll tell you this, you don't want to miss tonight, uh, because tonight the young people will be doing the whole service, not just uh, a special song, but they'll be taking over the whole service tonight uh, for our um, uh, for the youth service, and so that's going to be an exciting uh, service tonight. They'll be doing all the music and uh, the special music, uh, the preaching, doing all that, and so I really want to encourage me back this evening uh, at 6 o'clock for that, and uh, if nothing else, just to be an encouragement to these young people uh, in wanting to serve the Lord, but I, I know, I guarantee you, it will be an encouragement to you as well, and so uh, be back tonight, 6 o'clock. Let's take our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, the Ephesians chapter number one, Ephesians chapter one, and uh, we'll begin reading here in verse number seven, Ephesians chapter one, in verses three through six, we saw the work of the father and are really the blessings of the father. And verses 7 through 12, we're looking at the work of the Son, uh, of course, Jesus Christ. And then in uh, verses 13 and 14, we'll be looking at the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so right at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, we see how important each person of the Godhead is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, in verse number 7, uh, he says, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace." wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Father, we do ask that you would just bless now uh, as we look at your word. Uh, use it to speak to hearts. Lord, we just thank you uh, for this wonderful week you've given to us. And Lord, as we begin uh, a new week today, uh, Lord, just worshiping you. Um, uh, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in this church. And Lord, we ask that you just work um, Lord, our, our hearts would be tender and yielded to what you would have for us this morning. And we ask that you would just bless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we began looking at the work of the Son, and uh, we got into verse number 7. Uh, we made it to one verse, uh, but that's all right because we can continue here. Um, and we saw last week the work of the Son, we are redeemed and forgiven. In verse number 7 it says, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins." according to the riches of His grace. And I'm so thankful for uh, the riches of God's grace, that God, uh, His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. God's grace will never run out. Amen? Uh, there's never, it's never going to be a time when God says, well, I'm sorry, just, I just don't have enough grace for that. Uh, God says His grace is sufficient. Uh, for whatever we need, uh, God's grace will be there for us. But as we come to verse number 8, uh, again, think about what we're looking at. We're talking about Jesus Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood. We've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. We've been forgiven according to the riches of his grace. And then he continues, wherein 
he hath abounded toward us. So in his grace, in this abundant grace that he has, it says he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. And this morning we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at the mystery of Jesus Christ, the mystery of his will, this mystery that he's, he speaks about. And in his grace toward us, notice he says, we see wisdom and prudence of God. The wisdom and prudence of God as he reveals this mystery to us. In verse number 8, he says, "...wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence." So his grace is, is, the riches of his grace is there, but then he also says he has abounded toward us in wisdom and prudence. Now, wisdom refers to the knowledge of God. It's not just an understanding, but it's actual knowledge, the knowledge of God. I'm glad that God knows everything, aren't you? He knows everything, and he knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it. Right? He knows what he's doing. I don't know that there's anybody else living today that knows what they're doing. <laughs> okay? We might think we know what we're doing, but we really don't. Because guess what? Tomorrow can change everything. Right? I mean, we can have the best laid plans and we can say, man, I really know what I'm doing in this. And then something happens, catastrophe, you know, whatever, and everything changes. God actually knows what he's doing, and he knows why he's doing it. We will never understand all that, but we can be thankful that he does, and because he knows all things, we can trust him. We can trust him because of the wisdom of God, this abounding wisdom that he has. But I thought it was very interesting that he says that he abounds in wisdom and prudence. Prudence refers to caution in deliberating and consulting on the most suitable means to accomplish a valuable purpose. That's, that's how Webster's 1828 dictionary dis, defines prudence. Caution in deliberating and consulting on the most suitable means to accomplish a valuable purpose. Now think with me about this. You say, why would God need to use caution? I mean, he's, he has all wisdom, right? So why would he say wisdom and prudence? Well, because he knows everything, he also knows that there are things that you and I just can't handle. He knows there's things that we are just not able to handle. He, he knows it would not be good for us to know everything. So he uses prudence in what he reveals and when he reveals it. He, he knows everything. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows all things. But if it was us... <laughs> we probably wouldn't use prudence. <laughs> if we knew everything, we would just want to tell everybody everything, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what's going to happen. It doesn't matter what they're going to think about it or what the outcome is going to... We just, we just want to tell... And let's be honest, how many of you know somebody like that? They're just going to tell you everything that they know, no matter which, whatever, you know, it's just going to come, right? That's not prudence, okay? 
God says he abounds in wisdom and prudence. The knowledge, understanding everything, but also being cautious in in accomplishing this purpose. He knows when to reveal something. He knows what to reveal and what not. I like what one commentator said, wisdom in devising the redemption plan, prudence in executing it by the means and in making all the necessary arrangements of providence for it. That's a good definition. The wisdom in knowing this is, the, this is God's plan for redemption. We just saw that in verse number seven, in whom we have redemption, right? God says, this is the plan. I want to redeem you, but then how's it all going to work out? That's the prudence in, in making sure and executing it and making all the necessary arrangements to fulfill it. So God says he is abounding, Jesus Christ hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He knows everything and he knows what he's going to do. And watch what he says. Now's the time. Having revealed something to us, right? Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. So here's the first thing that that Paul speaks about here is this, the mystery, the mystery. What is a mystery? How many of you like mystery books? You like mystery novels, mystery TV shows, mystery movies? You like mysteries? Yeah. Mysteries are exciting because they, they keep you in suspense, right? You know something's coming. You just don't know what it is, right? The mystery of his will is not quite like that. Through his wisdom and prudence, God has made known a mystery to us. What is a mystery? Biblically, a mystery was not something hard to be understood. It wasn't like it's just really hard to understand. A mystery in Scripture means that God is revealing something that up to that point in time, only God knew. It wasn't a mystery to God. It's a mystery to us. We didn't know about it. And it's, it's only God who knows, and he has not previously revealed it to anyone. It, it is something that it cannot be discovered by, by human design. It's not like we can figure it out. If God says he has a mystery, let me tell you something. You're not figuring it out until he tells you. You're just not going to figure it out, right? It's a mystery, And it will only be revealed at the proper time. So God says there's a mystery. And this mystery, you won't be able to figure out on your own. It will only be revealed at the right time. That's the the wisdom and the prudence of God. And oh yeah, one more thing about this mystery. It will happen. It's going to happen. You say, well, how how do we know that it's going to happen? Because of the wisdom and prudence of God. God knows what's going to take place. And then he orchestrates and makes sure that it all works out exactly the way that he saw that it would. That's the wisdom and prudence of God. What is this mystery? He says in verse number nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. 
But in verse number 10 is where we find the mystery revealed. Here's the mystery. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. He says, here's this mystery. One day, God will unite everything in Christ. One day, God is going to unite everything in Christ. Well, why why do we need that? Well, because if you think about it, man was separated from God back in Genesis chapter 3. God created man to, to dwell with God, to live with God in the Garden of Eden, but man chose to sin against God. Man chose to separate himself from God. There's no unity with God anymore. They were separated from God. Then man separates himself from man. What happens? Cain rises up and kills his own brother. There was unity in the family, but then now you have Cain rising up and killing his own brother. Now there is dysfunction even among humankind. It's, there's, there's dysfunction among man between man. Now there's, this, there's, a, there's a, a hatred. I mean, you think about the wars and things that go on in our society today. And yet, look, can, do you understand? We are all one race of people. We're one race of people. We all come from Adam, Adam and Eve. That's where we all come from. And yet, we can't even get along. We can't get along. We can't get along with one another. Where did that start? It started back in Genesis with Cain and Abel. There, there, is a, there is a dysfunction there. There is a separation there. And then you think about at the Tower of Babel, man tries to maintain a type of unity. They said, hey, uh, we all speak the same language, so we're just going to stay here. Even though God said go and multiply throughout the whole earth, we're just going to stay here, and then we're going to build this tower up to God. God says, well, you're not doing what I told you to do. So they were trying to maintain a type of unity, but then what does God do? He judges them, he confounds the language, and scatters them across the world. Now, not only do we not get along, but we can't even speak the same language anymore. Wouldn't it be great if we could all speak the same language? That'd be awesome. It's not going to happen. Not yet. One day, he says he's going to bring in unity to everyone under Christ. Then God calls Abraham. God says, Abraham, I'm going to make a special nation out of you. It's going to be the nation of Israel. And I'm going to put a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. What happens now? Nationally, there's separation. There's separation between families. There's separation between people. We don't speak the same language. There's separation between nations now. You have this separation between the Jews and the Gentiles, this difference that was kept till Christ's death on the cross. You see, sin tears everything apart. Sin does not make anything better. It always tears everything apart. And I know Satan tries to say, oh, no, it's fun. Sin is enjoyable. Sin is great. No, it tears everything apart. Sin tears apart. When we don't do things the way God says to do them, we're going to find that it's going to fail. But in Christ, 
This is what he says in verse number 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. In Christ. God will bring everything together in his time. In Christ. It's interesting. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 25, verse number 8. He will swallow up death and victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth for the Lord hath spoken it. What's God saying? He says, there's going to come a time when I'm going to wipe away all tears from people's eyes. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take all of that divisiveness. I'm going to take all of that separation and I'm going to do away with it all. And I'm going to wipe, wipe away all tears. I'm going to take away sin. I'm going to take away death. I'm going to, one day I'm going to bring everything back together. In Revelation chapter 21, those of you who are in Sunday school, you know where I'm going, right? Revelation chapter 21, in verse number one, what does he say? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there were no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Think about what God is saying. God says there's going to be a time when in Christ, he's going to make all things new. He's going to bring this unity of everyone together for those who are in Christ. This mystery was thought that to the Jews, they thought it was only the Jews that could be loved by God. They thought it was only the Jews that could be saved. But God says that his plan has been for all time, for all time, for everyone to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. God wants every single person to know Jesus Christ, not just certain people. Not just a, a, a few people to know Christ, but he wants every person to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's why the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 that God is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You say, is everyone going to get saved, Pastor? No, not everybody's going to get saved but everybody could if they chose to. If a person would make that choice to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, just as we saw back up in verse number seven, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Let me tell you something. His blood is sufficient for all sin. And his desire is for all people to be united in Jesus Christ. But it's only those who are willing to make that decision. Only those who are willing to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. To recognize that Jesus Christ is the one who can redeem them from their sin. Do you understand that God, God is orchestrating events? God is moving history toward this climactic consummation in time? 
We, we look at the world and we think, oh man, things are horrible. Everything's just, everything's a mess. And wait a minute, is God wise? Then God knows what he's doing. We, we can't ever look at what's going on and think, man, God's lost control. Everything's just falling out of, out of place. And no, 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 no. God is moving things toward a specific time. You know, that's the mystery. God says, hey, everything that you see going on, it's not that it's chaos. It's not that everything is just out of whack. Although we could say, man, it's, it's messed up. It, it's not according to what, the, what scripture says. It's not according to what, where people aren't doing what God wants them to do. That's true. But God is still in control. God is still working. God is still moving to this particular time. That's what he says. When the fullness of time in verse number nine, uh, or verse number 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, you say, when is this going to happen? That's not for us to know yet. You see, he has wisdom and prudence. He says, I'm going to reveal a mystery, but I don't have to reveal everything about the mystery. I'm going to reveal the mystery. What is the mystery? He tells us there that in the fullness of time, right? That he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and in earth. Even in him, he says, hey, there's going to come a time when all of those that are in heaven who believe and all those on earth believe, they're going to be all gathered together in one in Jesus Christ. That's the mystery. That's going to happen. When? Hmm. We don't know. Why hasn't God told us? Because of his prudence. Is it that God doesn't know? Oh, he knows. He knows he's, he's all wise. But in his prudence, he understands there are things that we are not able to handle yet. You say, well, wouldn't it be better if we did know? I mean, wouldn't it be better if we knew that, hey, Jesus was going to make all of this happen and, and, and all of this was going to take place in 10 years? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be better for us to know that? Because then we could say, hey, we've got 10 years, so let's spend the last 10 years of our life serving God. Well, that's a good way to look at it, but let's be honest. Who's actually going to do that? We're going to be like, oh, we've got 10 years. Well, I could do nine years living how I want, and then that last year, I'll live for God. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. Isn't that what we do now already? We do that already. Well, we don't know how much time we have, but, you know, I'm just going to live for self now. And then when I get ready, then I'll live for God. I, I know Jesus is going to come, but I'll do what I want to do now. And then there's going to come a time when I'll be like, okay, now the rest of my life, I'm going to live for God. So really knowing when isn't going to change how you're living right now. Well, but man, if we knew it was going to be tomorrow, boy, we would live differently today. Well, why don't you just live differently today then? Do you see God's prudence? You think that we can come up with something that God hasn't figured out already? You think somehow we can pull one over on God? You don't think he doesn't already know our heart and and how we act? He knows. He says, I'm not going to tell you. But I'm going to tell you that one day it's going to happen. So if we know that one day it's going to happen, guess what he wants us to do? He wants us to live for him. Well, but you know, preacher, it's just, you know, I just, you know, if I knew, if, if I knew that he was coming in 10 years, you know, then I would spend the rest of the 10 years that I have serving him. 
well, why don't you just spend the rest of your life serving him? Why wait? Why wait to get a date, right? You're not going to get a date, so just do it now. Is he going to come in 10 years? I don't know. Is he going to come this week? I don't know. You know why? That's still a mystery. To us, it's not a mystery to God. He knows when it's going to happen. But it's, it's still a mystery to us. And this is what he's saying. He, he's telling God is orchestrating the events. He's moving these things to this particular time. At the fullness of time, God is going to gather together into one place all those who are in Christ to live forever in peace and unity for eternity. But here's the thing. Did you notice it? It is only those in him. It's only those in him. So if we know the mystery, if we know God says, hey, salvation is for anyone, anyone can be redeemed if they put their faith and trust in God. And we know that one day God is going to bring unity. There's not going to be divisiveness. There's not going to be nations divided. There's not going to be uh, people divided in, in humankind. There's not going to be that divisiveness anymore. There's going to be unity. God is going to bring this in Christ. Why don't we just go ahead and live that way now then? Why don't we go ahead and live the way that he wants us to live now? That's what he's asking of us, right? He's saying, hey, if you, if you truly are in Christ, why don't you live the way Christ wants you to live? To live. The mystery. But notice the cause. And we find really the three things that we're going to look at this morning here in Verse number nine, the mystery is found in verse number 10. We've, we've really looked at that already, but here's the cause. Why did he reveal this mystery unto us? Why reveal it to us? And here's what he says. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. Do you understand that God did not have to reveal this mystery to us? He didn't have to reveal this mystery. He didn't have to reveal this mystery that one day there is going to, we are going to be unified in Jesus Christ. We're all going to be uni- in unity in one. He didn't have to reveal this to us, but he says he revealed it according to his good pleasure. Why? Because he wants us to know what he's doing for all those who will put their trust in him. He wants us to know, hey, not only have I made an opportunity for you to be redeemed, to be saved, to be, have your sins forgiven, but, but he says this grace is abounding, the riches of his grace. Um, I don't know why, but I guess, you know, if you're a pastor or a missionary or something like this, you know, whenever you sign a letter, you have to have a, I don't even know what you call it. You have to have something at the end of the letter, you know, instead of just saying sincerely. You know, what is that called? Anybody know what that's even called? Salutation. Isn't that at the beginning? What's that? What's a closing. See, you don't even know what it's called. So, so here, you know, I was, you know, a missionary, you know, you're always writing letters, pastor, I was writing letters and I, I, I saw different ones at other pastors and I'm like, oh, that's a really cool one. Oh, that's a really cool one. And I just began to think, you know, what, what has God done in my life? What has God done for me that at the end of a letter that I could say something that might just be an encouragement to somebody else? And he's called me to serve. 
Lord's called me to serve. No matter where, he's called me to serve, but why do I get to serve him? Why do we get to serve him? The only reason we get to serve the Lord Jesus Christ is because of grace. And so at the, ever, at the end of every letter that I write, I'll sign it, serving him because of grace. Just serving him because of grace. God says his grace is abounding so that we can be saved. We can't be saved without the grace of God. We have to, if God did not show us grace, we couldn't be saved. But he says, do you understand that it's not just grace that you need in salvation, but God says, I want to give you a, a grace that is the riches of his grace that abounds even in the wisdom and prudence of God. And, and as, we, as we understand the mystery of God, that Jesus Christ one day is going to bring unity and, and unify us all. He says, the reason why he's sharing this with us is because of his good pleasure. He wants us to know this. His desire is for us to know this. What he's doing for those who have put their trust in him. He doesn't, he doesn't have to save us, but he wants to because of his good pleasure. He doesn't have to reveal this mystery to us, but he wants to of his good pleasure. He says, you're, you're part of me now. You, you belong to me. And so I want to reveal that it's, it's of my good pleasure. It pleases me to, to let you know, in, in, to give you the, the inside scoop, if you would say, right? Here's the inside scoop. Hey, if you're in Christ and you belong to Jesus Christ, one day we're going to be unified. One day he's going he's gonna to take away all of that division. He's going to take away the, the sin and he's going to take away the, the tears and the sorrow and the pain and, and all of that. He's gonna, we're going to be in unity in Christ. But hey, guess what? You don't have to wait till then to live that way. Do you know why? Because of the riches of his grace. Yeah, that's going to happen. But he says, you don't have to wait till then. Don't wait till then. Hey, if, if, if he says, I'm, I'm showing this to you, I'm revealing this to you because of my good pleasure, then what do you think he wants us to do now? If it's, if it's of his good pleasure that he has revealed this mystery to us, if it's of his good pleasure that he's saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. I want you to know what's going to happen. I'm telling you, this is going to... What do you think he wants us to do now? How do you think he wants us to live now? We get this idea, well, salvation is going to come one day. No, no. When you accepted Jesus Christ, you were saved right then. Salvation doesn't come one day. It's the very moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't become a child of God one day. I became a child of God when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I shouldn't want to live in unity one day. I don't want to do that now. I don't want to live for Jesus Christ. Not one day. Well, one day we're going to be in heaven and one day we're going to be singing praises and one day we're going to be worshiping. No, I should be doing that now. Why? Because of his good pleasure. It brings glory and honor to him. It's not about us. Even the win is according to his good pleasure. We might think that he is too late on things, that he should have revealed this earlier. You know, instead of having to wait 4,000 years to reveal this, maybe he should have done it early. But when we think of the wisdom and the prudence of God, we know that he did it exactly when he knew that it needed to be done. It's exactly what he says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God 
sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Notice he says, when the fullness of time was come. What does he mean by that? God says, all right, the time is right now. God, in his wisdom and in his prudence, said, okay, now's the time for the Messiah to come. Did did the Jews not want the Messiah to come a thousand years earlier? Well, sure they did. Did, did, did Adam and Eve, as after they sinned in the garden and God promised the deliverer, do you not think that Adam and Eve wanted the deliverer come in their lifetime? Well, sure they did. God said, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. You see, even the win is according to God's wisdom and prudence. We can think, man, God's late on everything, right? I mean, I've asked him for this and he hasn't done it. You ever felt like that before, right? You've asked God for something and it didn't happen when you thought it should be done. Does that ever happen to you? I mean, I, I think that happens to all of us. I know it's happened to me. God, I, I want this to be done and we want it done now. Are we going to trust the wisdom and prudence of God? That he not only knows everything, but he also knows when it needs to be done. He knows, he has that prudence. He, he knows the best way for it to be done. This is what he's saying. The cause, according to his good pleasure. The only reason that you and I are able to be saved and that salvation is offered to us is because of his good pleasure. It's not something that we have done to earn it. It's according to his good pleasure. But I want you to notice the how. We've looked at the mystery. The cause is according to his good pleasure, but the how. Look again in verse number 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, so he decided it was time to reveal this. Now, notice, which he hath purposed in himself. How is this mystery going to be able to take place? How is this mystery able to be done that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things how is this able to take place he tells us because he hath purposed in himself he hath purposed in himself i want you to just think with me about this in verse number one In verse number one, he said to the faithful in Christ Jesus. In verse number three, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In verse number four, according as he hath chosen us in him. In verse number five, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. In verse number six, to the praise of of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. In verse number seven, in whom we have redemption. In verse number nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. In verse number 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and earth, even in him. 
Do you understand? In, in the first 10 verses, do you, know what, do you know what Jesus is trying to show us? Do you know what God is trying to tell us? It's not about you. It's about him. It's about Jesus Christ. We, Christians, we have got to get over ourselves. We think that life is about us. This life is about, my job is about me. My family is about me. My career is about me. My finances is about me. Wrong. It is about him. In Christ, we are able to have these blessings. In Christ, we are able to be redeemed. In Christ, we have this mystery revealed unto us. In Christ, one day, we're going to be able to be in unity together. In Christ, we're able to sit in heaven. It's not about us. And yet we just go on living life flippantly, saying, God, I don't care about you. It's not about what you want, God. It's about what I want. No, friend. We are in him. We are in Christ. And this is why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When are we going to get over ourselves and recognize that it is about him? It's about him. It's not about us. Well, it's my life. No, it's not. You're in him. Well, this is my job. No, it's not your job. You're in him. Well, this is my career. No, it's not. You're in him. Well, don't, have, don't I have any rights? No. When you were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, you gave up all your rights. You belong to him. Well, one day... One day I'm going to get to go to heaven and one day I'm going to praise him and one day I'll live for him and one day that's going to be great. No, now. Now, the reason why he has revealed this mystery unto us is to say, hey, this is, this is what's going to happen, but you don't have to wait until then. If you are in him, you can live this way now. You don't have to wait till then. Why don't you do that now? It's all about him. He revealed his will to us according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Do you understand that that we can be saved is all about him. That we are blessed is all about him. That we are redeemed is all about him. That we are adopted into his family is all about him. That he would even stop to consider us is all about him. It's about Jesus Christ. And then somehow we come up with some excuse not to serve him. We can think we can come up with some great excuse to say, well, you know, that exempts me from serving the Lord. Friend, nothing exempts us. Nothing exempts us from serving the Lord. Because we're in him. And he has revealed this to us. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Can I ask you a question? Are you in him? 
Are you in Christ? If you're saved this morning, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you're saved and God says you are in Him, you're in Christ. Now, friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're not in Him. You're out. But here's the great thing. You can get in, but not through anything you do. It's not through this church. It's not through a baptism. It's not through good works. It's not through being a good person. No, no, no. It's through him. That's the only way you can get in. It's through Jesus Christ. That's what he says. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You can be redeemed and forgiven through him. Through him. And because we're redeemed and forgiven, we get, we get a new home through him. And we get a new life through him. It all goes back to him. It's all about him. So can I ask you, what's your excuse? What's your excuse for not serving him? What's your excuse for not following him? It's all about him. I think this is interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 7. When God is speaking to Israel, he says, The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you. God says, you think I chose you because you were something special? <laughs> no. He says, you weren't anything special. You weren't some great group of people. He said, in fact, you were, you were pretty small. He said, the reason I chose you is because I loved you. I loved you. You didn't deserve it. I just chose to love you. This mystery. God says, I'm revealing this to you. Let me ask you this, though. Knowing the mystery, knowing the cause that is according to his good pleasure, that he revealed the mystery to us, and knowing the how that this mystery that we're going to get to be a part of is only through Jesus Christ. How does that change your life today? Because if we just sit here and say, well, that's for the future. That's one day. I mean, you did say, right? I mean, verse number 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he's going to do this, right? One day down the road, this is going to happen. Well, that's true. But I think you missed something as well. Notice what he said. That he would gather in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Let me ask you a question. Are you in heaven or are you in earth? There should be all unanimous vote on this right now. This is not heaven. Okay? This is not heaven. Guess where we are? We're on earth. You know what he says? Whether... You're in heaven, whether you're on earth, we're in him. And this is what he expects us to do. This is how he expects us to live. One day, yes, we're going to all be gathered together in him. One day, all of those that are in heaven, those that have gone on before us, will be reunited with them again. One day, that's going to happen. But here's the thing, we're still on earth. So what am I supposed to do with this mystery? What am I supposed to do with this mystery now? 
I need to understand this mystery is not just one thing that's going to happen in the future, but it's something I need to be living now. I need to be living today. Why? Because I am in him. I'm in him. And he expects me to live the way he wants me to live, not just in the future, but today, right now. I wonder if their heads bowed and their eyes closed this morning. No one looking about. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Friend, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never accepted Him. Maybe you think that salvation comes by church membership or by being baptized, by being a good person. Friend, that's not how you're forgiven of your sins. It's not how you're redeemed. It's not how you're saved. It's through Jesus Christ. The only way. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I don't know that I've ever been redeemed. But I'd like to know how I can be saved. I'd like to know how I can be in him. Say, Pastor, that's me. Friend, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I would like to pray for you this morning. My prayer can't save you. But I want to pray that God would keep working your heart. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure if I'm saved. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? Nobody else is looking about. Just slip it up and put it right back down. Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure if I'm saved. And friend, let me ask you. If you say this morning that you're saved, that you are in Him, that you're in Christ, you know there's a time when you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can say, Pastor, I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven of my sin. If you can say that this morning, would you raise your hand? Pastor, I know I'm redeemed. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Put your hands down. If you raise your hand this morning, then let me ask you, are you living for him now? Not waiting till one day in the future when he's going to bring all things together. No, 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 no. Are you living for him now? If not, why? Why aren't you living for him? Because when we live for him, it brings good pleasure to him. It pleases him when we live for him. So why aren't we living for him? Is it your life? Your job? Your career? Your family? Maybe those are things this morning you need to come and give to him. Say, Lord, these aren't mine. I've been looking at them as mine, but Lord, they're not. They're yours. Lord, and I need to live for you in these things. Father, I pray you'd work in our hearts this morning. Lord, you've revealed this mystery so that we can know how you would want us to live for you. Lord, if there's somebody that's here this morning that's not saved, I pray that you'd speak to their heart and help them to put their faith and trust in you. Father, for Christians, Lord, we need to get over ourselves 
and realize that this life is not about us. It's about you. We are in Christ. And you want us to live in Christ for Christ. Lord, maybe there's something in our life that's been hindering that. Maybe we've been looking at it all the wrong way. This is my job, my family, my career, my possessions. Lord, this morning, maybe we just need to come and lay these at, at your feet and say, Lord, these are not mine anymore. Lord, I give them to you. And Lord, I want to live my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, would you help us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand quietly to our feet. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the piano is just going to play soft.